Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Uma Naidu has been described as the world's first triple threat in the food and medicine space. She's a Harvard-trained and board-certified psychiatrist. She's a professional chef graduating with her culinary school's most coveted award, and she's a trained nutrition specialist. Her nexus of interests have found their niche in the field of nutritional psychiatry, which led her to her best-selling book, This Is Your Brain on Food, an indispensable guide to the surprising foods that fight depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, ADHD, and more. Uma, welcome. Thank you so much, Jason. It's lovely to be here. I am so excited you're here. Your new book is fabulous. I love the title. This is your brain on food. Uh, it is very mind, body, green. And look, if you look at what's going on in the world right now with COVID and anxiety and depression, this is a book that we all need. So very excited to talk about it today. Me too. And thanks for having me. So you you are so fascinating. Your background is fascinating. So I'll start with Michelin starred chef David Boulay described you as the world's first triple threat in the food is medicine space. So you're a board certified psychiatrist, Harvard Medical School. So, you know, the best of the best professional chef from the Cambridge School of Culinary Arts and a nutrition specialist at Cornell. So you have this very unique background and you are highly credentialed. I, I can't imagine how many years of school that was, but can can you talk a little bit about the why you decided to pursue these, you know, three amazing credentials? So. That's that's. Uh, I always love answering this question, although sometimes it's it's not as as straightforward as as I would like it to be. And the reason is. Um, the way that this came together in my career, Jason, was very organic. I didn't necessarily plan these steps in any particular way. Um, I, I wish I could take credit for it. I think it came together really pursuing my interests. So it, go, it goes back to my childhood. I actually learned to cook later in life because I was uh, surrounded by a very large family of mothers and grandmothers and a large South Asian family growing up in South Africa. And so there was no need for me to cook. I, in fact, I learned to bake because my mom knew that I loved science. So I, so I did a lot of baking as a kid. But when I moved to Boston to study at Harvard, um, the one thing I could bring with me was my family recipes, that sense of love and nurturance to carry me through here. And it was a very big move and very far away from home. So I really relied on finding ways to connect. And one way as I studied was to you know, practice my mom's recipes. So it really, it, it became a journey of learning to cook. And I found that when I cooked, it wasn't a chore. For me, it was real mindfulness at the end of the day. I found that that was my pause. That was the part of my day I looked forward to. So, you know, busy schedule, on call, off call, all of that. And I carried that forward um, into my practice because as I learned about psychiatric medications as part of my training, I felt it was really important for people to also have lifestyle interventions they could use, um, that they knew what to eat, um, but they knew what to incorporate on any given day, especially given that we were studying that there were these potentially devastating side effects of some of the medications. And some people have worse side effects than others, but and some people almost none at all. So I be, that began to be a part of my um, part of my work. 
in addition, um, and, and as, as it unfolded, I decided I had to fill that gap in medical school and learn nutrition. And the culinary school was really just a pursuit of passion. Uh, in those early days when I, was, when I was learning to cook, Julia Child was the person I saw on television. And that was because we, all we could afford was public television. And I grew attached to that. And when I learned that she had gone to culinary school, uh, later in life, I decided I wanted to do that. So when I say it happened organically, none of these different paths were planned. But it really came together in the work that I began to do. And with good mentorship, I was able to start this clinic and really bring that message forward, I, I hope, in the book. Well, it's unique. You know, most, most psychiatrists, if we think of what a psychiatrist does, is you know, if you're a patient, you come in or, or in this day, you have a Zoom or a Skype call or what have you, right. and you, and you do a little right. talk therapy. And, you know, potentially if you're suffering from severe anxiety or depression, there's an SSRI is prescribed. Something's prescribed. There's a prescription, a exactly. pad, and so forth. Exactly. So if we take a step back, so that, that, that I think is the perception of what an intake session is with a, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, Western psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. What's an intake session like with you? And talk about the gap and what you weren't seeing in traditional psychiatry that led you down this path where you said, hey, this isn't working or there's a better way. <laughs> it really was based on intuition of understanding the psychopharmacology and understanding the gap that we didn't have to speak to patients. We, we knew how to talk about hypertension and, and cholesterol, but we really weren't talking about mental health. So if someone was prescribed an SSRI medication, what if they developed a side effect? What were they supposed to do? And you, you, know, you can't just say to someone who's already depressed, well, go exercise and do 150 minutes a week. You really have to find a way in. And for me, that, that was a gap that, that I started to fill just by questions that I so an intake varies. I, I think you and I talked as well about the fact that, you know, because the microbiome is so entirely unique, uh, almost, almost entirely unique for every one of us, therefore people's responses can be different. So it is highly personalized. But when I first started out, I included a, a, a complete holistic approach, which I consider to be sort of a holistic, integrated and functional approach to psychiatry. And what do I mean by that? It includes things like mindfulness and, you know, how do you, how can you combat your stress by, say, working through an app, working on breathing and relaxation exercises? If you are so depressed that you can't get out of bed, I will ask you about movement rather than, you know, get on the treadmill. Um, and then it was sleep hygiene, hydration, every, every single thing you could think of. But I also, in terms of the functional part, wanted to find a root cause. And as I began to treat more and more patients, I understood that sometimes people were being referred by gastroenterologist, but in fact, um, for panic. But in fact, as you uncovered the symptoms, they had real what they really had was gut inflammation leading to these mental health symptoms. So these pieces of the jigsaw started to come together for me as I explored the research, you know, read more, saw more patients. And so a full intake is really getting all of those components, as many of them as I can. Um, and what, what works best for me is if I'm not the prescribing psychiatrist, because that gives me more time to evaluate all of these other components. Because if not, you're on a, on a time clock, right? Because it's insurance driven. But um, when I can, or if, if people see me um, in, in my private practice, we have a little bit more time to delve deep into each of those. And rather than you know give them, give them a sort of food plan that they take, that they leave with, 
what I try to engage them in in that first session is what is it that we can tweak with? So are there one to five things, usually very few things? What can you tweak right now to start start this journey? Because what I find, Jason, is that when someone feels the positive effect of one of those habit changes related to, in, in this instance, nutritional strategies, it clicks in and then they want to do more. If you say to someone, change this, change that, do this, do that, follow this plan, you know, eat this number of calories, it, it, it's too overwhelming. You know, it's too overwhelming for, for someone. So that's the one component. And then the other component that I've really started to do in my virtual practice during the pandemic has been individuals who are not meeting a, a diagnosis in, in mental health, but really want to fortify their, 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 their well-being and, and make sure that with the level of uncertainty that people are facing, they can feel better. So why not, since we all have to eat, we eat every day, several times a day, you know, why not, why not do this the right way for their, for their better brain health? And so that's been a cool component too. So you bring up the pandemic and it's very clear in my mind that there will be, if not already, there's huge mental health issue. Yes. Uh, you know, we, we already had a huge mental health issue going into COVID and, and uh, it, it will probably be accelerated. And yeah. if I think of, okay, on one hand, you've got people depressed. On the other hand, you've got people anxious. And, right. and, and sometimes, you know, anecdotally, my sense is some of those people were probably on the some were maybe on the fringe before COVID, but I also anecdotally have know people who were just doing fine, were fine, but because of mm -hmm. COVID have, um, you know, aren't feeling so great. So if we tackle just those two big issues, one depression or feeling blue, if you were just not feeling sure. great, yeah. let's talk about that and what you've learned about lifestyle uh, intervention, if you will, for someone sure. listening, is just like, you know, not feeling good. Absolutely. So there are many, many things separate to food that happen. I mean, I think if someone is just not feeling blue, sometimes they're stressed or they, they're not feeling emotionally well and they're not sleeping well. When their sleep gets lopsided and over time they sleep poorly, their hunger hormones are disrupted and they can't shut off that satiety um, switch, so to speak. So they don't really feel a feeling of fullness and they start to eat more. So it's one of the pathways of how um, through, through, you know, through poor sleep, which is part of our lifestyle model, um, that someone can start to struggle. But they can also uh, be very, very stressed. And we know from the way that stress works in our brain that certain habit circuits get kicked in. And unfortunately, once you give the, you, you give the body, you know, High, highly sugared foods and, you know, foods that are processed, it gets used to it. And the brain wants, you know, the brain is pretty much asking you for more. And I know that your audience is super savvy, Jason. So things like the studies that have shown pathways of sugar being similar to how our brain responds to cocaine are now the things that people understand. When we get into those cycles, we just then start eating poorly. It drives our depression because we're eating the wrong foods. And we may be gaining weight. The effects of those foods are horrible for our brain. And it, it sort of perpetuates this vicious cycle. So how, how do you break through that? And one way is, you know, can you take a step back and start to 
almost un, um, really stop those stop those bad habits. And, and, and even if you do one at a time, but start to build in healthy habits. So if you have, you know, a sweet craving, there are rich flavonols in dark chocolate. And, you know, can you start to switch out candy bars and, you know, um, just eating tubs of ice cream with starting to build in fruit with, you know, um, super dark chocolate, more than 70%, because you're right there are starting to bring back whole nutrients into your diet. So what you have this great uh, sub chapter or chapter in the book, uh, if you will, good food for good moods. So what are some of those good food for good, good foods for good moods that we should be reaching for instead of look, we all do the same thing. It's like I'm stressed, you know, I go for the chocolate, I go for the gluten, I go for the the alcohol or whatever exactly. your, your poison might be. Exactly. So what are those so, good foods? Sure. So some, some of the ones that um, hit some high notes are the flavonols from different foods. One of them is dark chocolate. And dark chocolate has the added advantage because when you buy the proper sort of natural dark chocolate, the process is fermented. So it's also fermented food in that way. So that's that's a good one. Then there are um, foods that are rich in folate and vitamin B12. So cruciferous vegetables, you know, the, the broccoli, the Brussels sprouts, the um, cauliflower, all really, really good things. The second, the second factor with that um, is that when you add back fiber from from plant-based uh, sources beans nuts seeds and legumes um, as well as healthy whole grains those feed the good uh, bug uh, uh, bugs in your gut by giving them fiber so already you've, you're fortifying against inflammation and that type of stuff so that's a, that's another big one then antioxidants my, my favorite in this category while there are many um is turmeric with a pinch of black pepper because it it actually comes up on several studies for different diagnoses so for depression i think that a simple thing if you don't cook with it add it to super smoothie all you need is a quarter teaspoon a day with a pinch of black pepper which makes the uh, curcumin bioactive so there's there's a good one right there and then things like avocado um, healthy fat portion would be about a quarter a piece of a medium-sized avocado a day uh, gives you a good amount of protein fiber but most importantly magnesium which has been shown to be low in um, in depression in studies so those are just a few a few high notes um, that you that you can you, that you could start trying today so you mentioned bacteria and I got something else you talked about in the book is probiotics which mm -hmm. so talk a little bit about probiotics and the connection Sure. So, you know, the much of um, the book is uh, I've really re researched the, um, the, the the science behind what we know about the gut, gut brain connection and where probiotics come in is they're one of those pillars where if you just wanted to start doing something today, um, including probiotic rich foods in your diet would be super important. Now, probiotics are generally in a supplement. So it's fermented foods that you can bring in through your diet as well as things like if you eat dairy or even some of the non-dairy yogurts now have um, active cultures. So that's that's a good way. But I always suggest buy the plain version, not fruited version, because you're adding, um, when you add when you eat the fruited versions, you're adding six or eight teaspoons uh, per serving when, uh, when you do that. So just buy the plain and, and sweeten with cinnamon and berries and things like that. Then fermented foods are, are just a good go-to source of probiotics. And what they do is they bring back healthy um, bacteria to your gut by eating those foods. So um, things like sauerkraut, kimchi, miso, natto, all of those, uh, kefir, um, again, the plain version, uh, really just, just fortify your gut by bringing back uh, good bugs that, that you need to thrive. And it's, it's an easy step that we can pretty much do today.
So when you mentioned the gut-brain connection, something you, you mentioned, which I, I think is fascinating, is the connection between anxiety disorders and bowel issues. Yeah. What do we know about that? So uh, it takes me back to a patient who's a young executive, a uh, young woman who got this amazing promotion at work and was referred to me by a gastroenterologist for new onset panic in a person who had really pretty much done done well emotionally in life and she was very devastated because she she felt like she thought that this was a failure and she thought she needed medication but when we truly unpack the information 18 months prior to her visit with me she had gotten this promotion and was doing extremely well at work but it also meant she was no longer eating at home she was traveling eating in airports eating fast food processed foods packaged foods snacks in bar fridges and hotels sleeping poorly and almost never eating home cooked meal. And slowly over time, her, between her sleep being disrupted, um, you know, the one thing she was able to do was that she exercised regularly. Um, what happened was that she, her gut was disrupted. There was real inflammation going on. And, and the way that it presented for her, she was otherwise doing okay, but it presented as anxiety and panic. So because she was able to manage, we, we tried some dietary changes. And by offering some gut healing, it really brought, you know, brought her anxiety levels lower. She was eating healthier. She had to make some significant changes because of travel. But, but you know, that was a great example of how someone who has an actual, un, you know, who, who presents with an underlying, um, who presents with mental health can have an underlying gut, gut issue in a similar way. I've also had people who present in the reverse way. So sometimes it depends on that individual and what their leading symptom is that's causing them distress. They might seek my help first or they might go to the gastroenterologist. So anxiety is definitely an issue right now for so many of us with, with the pandemic. And, you know, for example, some when they're anxious, they'll, you know, grab some hemp. Some will do, you know, I, I do my, my breath work. So what's in the repertoire if, if what's a food we what's something we should grab a sure. food we should grab and also a food we should just stay away from if we're running a little bit anxious Sure. So foods to stay away from, uh, there's a study that looked at um, trans fats and showed that it increased aggression and anxiety in people. So so it actually made that link. And I think that if we understand when we eat poorer foods, um, that we have a certain behavioral change, I think that's important to know. Other foods to, to definitely avoid, um, it, 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 the studies were pretty significantly linked to gluten in anxiety. So I do have individuals individuals who are struggling with that, maybe start to cut back on gluten and see if they improve. So that was helpful. Um, processed vegetable oils seem to drive anxiety. Seed oils, yeah. Exactly. They seem to drive anxiety. So, so those might be something to be very wary of. And we know that one of the culprits that comes up repeatedly is the added sugars. I think what I like to remind people of is they're often unsavory foods that you don't realize. Um, pasta sauces, uh, ketchup, um, you know, salad dressings that you don't realize. And then the, the positive foods are, um, again, we go back to uh, uh, to omega-3s. So omega-3s in, you know, well-sourced salmon um, and other fatty fish are, are a good go-to food because, interestingly, people associate omega-3s generally with depression, but they have been studied pretty effectively in anxiety as well. So I suggest that's a good go-to 
Um, things like almonds and black beans are rich in magnesium. Magnesium may sometimes be significantly deficient in anxious individuals. So there are some quick, easy fixes right there. Um, and then uh, pro probiotic foods, as well as the fiber-rich foods that I men mentioned earlier. So those are just ways to ways to get started. There, as as you have seen in the book, uh, along this beyond that. And then another big issue. We're, we're tackling all the big issues. We've got you know sure. depression. <laughs> we're feeling blue, anxiety, and then another huge one right now is sleep and right. fatigue. And, and so right. let's talk about that. Foods that could help people get to sleep. Sure. So so my um, what I like people to understand with sleep is that it's um, one of the ways, it, you know, you can take a melatonin supplement, but you can always also use a few different foods. We found that there was a, study, a few studies that supported tart cherry juice. So I suggest to people, um, rather than go out and buy juice, which I don't know the formulations of those, you can actually buy tart cherries, um, frozen tart cherries, and either have it as a snack. So that's, that's a good go-to food. But more importantly, I think people find it helpful when they can have melatonin-rich foods. And the, and the reason I say this is that by eating foods rich in melatonin, you actually help with your sleep. And some easy options for that are things like, um, I say to people, have an omelet at night. So so eggs, uh, you know, things with, um, uh, it's uh, things like asparagus and broccoli, uh, flax seeds, sunflower seeds, walnuts, all have melatonin. And there's a longer list, of course. But Think about putting, you know, putting some of those veggies in an omelet and having it at night. If you have dairy, then then a good source of grass-fed milk may be an option for you. Um, but try that because you're starting to, A, in addition to sleep, talking to your doctor about sleep hygiene, you're really starting to prime your body towards um, getting back melatonin and helping, helping yourself sleep. And melatonin-rich foods are so much better for you in the long term than melatonin supplements at night daily because they're, they're, they're not... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, because some of my some of my patients come in taking the supplements, and they they've at times become ineffective. Um, and some people do well on them. So it's you know, I I, I think my, my I, what I try to do, Jason, it's not, not a, never perfect, but I try to recommend foods. If if we have go to foods, that was the whole purpose of the you know foods to embrace and the foods to avoid. Then then you know you can you can. You can always have those with you, um, and and with supplements, you know, they may or may not work. Uh, whereas we, we can at least test with different foods what's helping you. Well, food food is medicine, and it's always a great place to start. You know, let's start there, and then dial it up to supplements, and then maybe you need medication or what have you. But like you know, start with the baseline of 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 food, and that's. Uh, and that's probably, I don't mean to interrupt you, that's probably a good, good place to also say that, you know, this is an additional supportive treatment. Someone who's actively suicidal, you know, lost touch with reality and psychotic or say in a manic phase of bipolar disorder, food can be part of your treatment plan, but it's not the first line. You know, someone may need something stronger than that initially and then uh, including foods, but, but it wouldn't be the first line of treatment. Of course. 100%. You know, sometimes you need some vegetables, sometimes you need a, a prescription, and sometimes you need both. Exactly. And that's the power of functional medicine. That, that's, that, that, in my opinion, that's the future of, of medicine, the way it should be practiced. Sometimes you need both, but Absolutely. sometimes it's either or. So it, something else I, I learned, and I learned something, I learned a lot of new things in your book, L-ornithine. Right. which I had not heard of before. Maybe I missed right. that. Could you talk about L-ornithine and how it's related to, 
to sleep support and where and what foods it's found in? Sure. So, so I always uh, describe it in terms of you know when you when when we're talking about insomnia and ways that you can, like we said, you know you can embrace um, melatonin foods. There are things, um, uh, you know, like poultry. Um, again, you know, well sourced, um, farm raised. Um, Poultry, if that's something that you consume, certain types of fish, uh, again, eggs, soybeans, and quinoa all contain. Now, there, there are more foods, but by incorporating these foods, you, you are actually, in addition to the omelet that I suggested, going to be building in foods that will help you sleep better and help you sort of calm down for the evening. Because I think that a lot, a lot of the times when I do sleep assessments, it's tough to know... Um, where, which symptom is which symptom is driving the other? So sometimes people are so stressed that they can't sleep. Some individuals present and are sleeping all day because they're so stressed. So you know, part of part of it is really almost a jigsaw puzzle, figuring out the pieces that someone needs to build in either the nutrients that they're missing or the components uh, that they that they need from a mindfulness approach or from a sort of mind body approach that that they need to need to include to feel better so in the context of of covid when people get ready for sleep sometimes uh, you know they'll have a, a drink whether it's a glass of wine right. a cocktail a beer it's like i'm gonna unwind i'm gonna Ooh. have a drink I'm like alcohol consumption yeah. is through the roof during the pandemic i i, yeah. I get it yeah. uh, so when is that because you've got some interesting science in the book where alcohol can be helpful but let's talk about when is it helpful when is it a hindrance with regards to sleep and and everything else you yeah. talk about in terms of the brain and i'm also curious uh different forms our, our friend mark hyman you know we'll, we'll talk about tequila he loves tequila i like tequila right, too right. so right, right. let's talk about that sure sure so so alcohol is interesting in the sense that alcohol chemically um when 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 you have a lot of it the actual chemistry is that it's a depressant so when you up your up your alcohol game and are consuming more such as times of the pandemic ultimately it could drive your depression worse and even on the moment you feel great and you feel maybe more relaxed or even happier it ultimately drives depression so the whole you know if, if there's one thing i want to portray in this book it's really finding that balance for yourself um i am not against any particular thing but if you can do it in moderation and if you sense it's becoming a problem seek help appropriately i think that becomes important so i i, I there's obviously some good data about resveratrol and red wine but it's, you know, if people drink other things, I what I do say to people, Jason, is if you're having cocktails, beware of things like simple syrup. Maybe have fresher things like fresh lime juice and other ways to sweeten, like fresh pomegranates to sweeten than, you know, which is a fruit and, and it can have um, a different level of sugar in it, but it's still a, a natural source of that. And if, you know, if you're having one or two, that's one thing, but, you know, it's when you start to flip over into having too many that, that besides driving depression, the problem is it can drive anxiety through the roof. So when it comes to sleep, you, you want to find that balance of what time you should have a drink and how it affects your sleep. Um, and, you know, if you're finding that you're needing several drinks to get to sleep, I'd rather you talk to your doctor, even if it means that you 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 maybe maybe you should try that melatonin the amulet rich in melatonins to help you sleep than having that second or third glass of wine. Um, if you do on a certain night, 
try to course correct the next day just by eating healthier and trying to not have as much the rest of the week. I think it's about finding that balance for yourself. None of us are perfect. Uh, you know, I think there's any given night that we feel more stressed or not. But alcohol drives depression and it can worsen anxiety. So, so you've got to find that that little th- that that zone for yourself that that works and identify. You know, if you're getting into a little bit of trouble with it, because it's very easy during the pandemic for that to happen, and I've seen it. So, a drink or two and listen to your body. How do you feel? How do you? Thank you for summarizing that. That's that's great. See how you feel and and you know pay attention to the not sleeping, um, staying awake and needing that third glass of wine to do so, um, and then getting up jittery because if you're getting up jittery, it might be that your body's starting to withdraw from that alcohol. We can go into actual clinical mild withdrawal, and you know in a hospital and someone's drank a ton, you know ends up being in the hospital. That's a whole whole other protocol. But you can even have it on a milder level by having one too many the night before and you wake up jittery, you know. Um, and the idea is don't, don't get up and have a morning drink. Uh, to get the idea is. <laughs> so you, you mentioned jittery and I'll segue to my personal favorite drink. I'm sure our, mm-hmm. our listeners know what this is. It's black coffee and espresso. Oh, yeah. I love coffee. So let's talk about coffee. Good, bad. I- I think coffee again. I think it's it's your body, and I think coffee is actually good. I think it's good in moderation. And in the book, we break down, you know, the milligrams, and we we kind of we we found that, um, you know, even decaf coffee has some caffeine. So people need to be if they're super sensitive to caffeine, they need to be wary even of decaf coffee. I think everything in moderation. I I love a morning cup of coffee or two, um, but with my patients, I find that if I tell them. They have to have a guideline like 12 p.m. for some people or 2 p.m. for others when they start to cut back. And then they have to be careful of the teas they drink uh, in, uh, to hydrate or rather switch to water at that point. Um, I, I, but I love coffee. I think it's, it's, it, it has actually had a lot of good health benefits. And it's all about not drinking six cups so that you end up jittery and, you know, jittery for other reasons and then more anxious. Or you drink a ton of it and then you stop cold turkey and the next day you're having caffeine withdrawal so it's again it's about finding that right uh, balance yourself so you mentioned water and you are a fan of drinking lots of water i am a fan of of hydration i think it's one of one of those pillars that i think people could could so easily do um for for everything to to work better and so and so how much is enough you see so many varying opinions on, I know. you know, Dave Asprey will say like, you don't need any water. And some people are saying, <laughs> you know, you need aid or you need, you know, right. what, so what's I, your take I, on water? So I like to give people this formula. I find that I it works. Like, water ask, right now. <laughs> exactly. Me, me too. Um, so I ask, you know, I'll send the calculate by their body weight. Um, so a person who's 140 pounds, you divide that uh, in half and then you divide it into ounces. So you know, 140 pounds divided in half is 70 ounces and divided by eight ounces in a cup, it's about um, six or eight cups approximately. So if you are heavier than that, you might want to adjust to, um, you know, to, to the to a few more glasses of water. And then I, I like to just ask people to do things like like you you showed me right now, this great canister, you know, or glass um, glass bottle that they can carry on the go um, and have it with them all the time. And if they know the number of ounces that are in that, they know the number of times they need to be refilling it during the day. Um, So I like to use that rule. It tends to work well. Um, I I think 
hydration is extremely important. Um, and, you know, obviously if you have some sort of kidney condition or certain heart conditions that um, where your, your fluid overload in the body and edema could be a problem, you need to be talking to your doctor about that. But, you know, for the average person, this is not, this is a general rule. Yeah. And so something I practice, I'm a big fan of, it works for me and is very trendy right now is intermittent fasting. And so where does intermittent fasting come in with regards to, you know, our, our, our mental health? You know, there's a lot of good data coming uh, coming in about the different types of uh, fasting, fasting, mimicking, mimicking diets, um, and uh, I think that where I'm at with it in terms of mental health is I, I don't know yet that the studies have really focused on the positive impact in mental health. I'm not saying they're negative, I just don't think we're there yet. And I might, my philosophy in working with individuals is whether they come in with a carnivore diet or a vegan diet, I've got to find a way to help them through these nutritional strategies and a lifestyle plan. So I think that if someone, uh, and I've had people who have done some intermittent fasting and done well, I've also had others who have done some types of fasting diets, uh, I'm not necessarily saying intermittent fasting, but have done a type of fasting diet and come in with more dysregulated symptoms. Again, for me, it goes back to the more personalized plan and the fact that the microbiome is so, so mostly unique. For example, I had a mother and daughter who shared with me, I was actually treating one of them, but um, shared with me that they had completely opposite reactions to the same positive food. So, you know, it's, it's even in a family, it could be that someone has the benefit of an antidepressant effect from it and someone does not. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's again, uh, coming back to the intermittent fasting diet could be well, could work well for someone or have exacerbation of symptoms. Uh, you know, it's putting together the plan, finding out what's working, um, see, seeing what we need to tweak um, it could be something like hydration, you know, a, a person may not be drinking enough. So, so whatever it is, it's putting that together. So you mentioned the, the studies with regards to intermittent fasting. I'm curious, what studies are you looking at that are interesting in the field of nutritional psychiatry right now? So there's the studies, you know, for the book, I looked at, uh, I approach it from the perspective, Jason, that, you know, a lot of people think if you're talking about nutrition and mental health, it's a soft science. And I, I had been doing this for a while. And I, I respect my colleagues and I, you know, I, I want to have conversations about this. But we found 700 studies of which I included more than 550 in the book. So that I tried to make it written in a style that was digestible and easy to follow, but it's also referenced. What we looked at through the, through the lens of the gut microbiome is how every condition um, he that has links to that, has some basis in that, and actually has foods that have been shown to drive a certain symptom or improve a certain symptom. Um, let's take OCD, for example. It, we found that the studies showed that uh, MSG plus glutamate-rich foods, which actually could include some healthy foods, um, worsen those symptoms. So in an individual with that cluster or that diagnosis or symptoms of OCD-like symptoms, because I will be the first to admit that not everyone falls into the DSM-5 diagnoses. Many people just do not necessarily check out those boxes. And I understand that people may still not feel be feeling well so it's helpful to know those little tips and things uh, tips and tweaks that you can make with the diet 
So where do you think the field of nutritional psychiatry is going? You know, it's clearly, you're clearly, you know, on the front lines, if you will, there, there aren't many of you out there who practice nutritional psychiatry. You're growing. Uh, it, it's a field we're excited about at Mind Buddy Green. I'm personally excited about, uh, but it's got a ways to go. So where, where I, I do, yeah. So, so that's it. That's a, um, I, I, I would hope, Jason, that you know it's all moving forward in a way that this language can be integrated into mental health care. I think it'll take some time to develop. Um, you know, uh, we speaking about the mind-body connection. Well, it took many years for um, uh, uh, Henry Benson and the mind-body approach to be integrated. Yet he'd been doing it for a very long time, and I work with him. And you know, I think that it's just it's it's a it's it's a wonderful. To, to know that that journey started somewhere. In a similar way, I think nutritional psychiatry is a younger, more nascent field, yet some of my mentors at Mass General have done some of the seminal initial studies on folate and methylfolate and depression. Same thing with omega-3 fatty acids. So it's not, it's not really new in that way, but I think the way that we're bringing it forward into clinical care is. So my hope for, for it is that a book like this will hopefully be a guide to help start help people start eating in a certain way to improve their mental health because I, I, I don't think that people always know the science behind it and that we are limited in nutritional science and nutritional epidemiology because our, stu our studies are not well funded. Funding goes towards pharmaceutical studies and there is, uh, uh, I think, a very big you know, background political argument about that because nutritional studies are just not well funded. And uh, and often um, I will pay attention to even a small study, but try to analyze the quality of that study because it still may be sharing very important data um, versus the very large pharmaceutical trials. So I, I would like I would like it to move forward in a very positive way that will help more patients and help more individuals, whether or not they carry a so-called diagnosis, but to uh, really feel better emotionally. I think it's going to become even more important in this time where there's so much uncertainty that we're facing. Now that I think about it, Harvard's actually been pretty progressive between you, Herb Benson, who you mentioned, Jeff Rediger, who we've had in this podcast, and David Sinclair. Uh, I think Harvard's kind of doing their part with whether it's nutritional psychiatry, but just get, getting being at the forefront in terms of where medicine is is going. I, so I certainly hope so. You know, I, I feel like like people need, um, especially now, people just need more tools in their toolkit to to cope with what's going on. So you say toolkit. Well, what's 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 in your toolkit in the form of your fridge <laughs> and your pantry? Like, what's your if we if we go to your house? Like, what what's your your go tos? What are we gonna find there yeah, in your fridge and your sure, pantry? Sure, sure, um, So I I love fresh vegetables. I love to have a, a ready supply of them. So one of the things I discovered. Um, during this time frame and this phase of life is that I, I, I was able to access farms that I couldn't usually because now with this virtual life we're living and, and initially with supermarkets being more um, uh, difficult to access, I was able to find uh, a farm that will deliver. And so I, I always have healthy greens, um, different, you know, whether it's pea tendrils and dandelion greens and, and different forms of lettuces. The greener, the better, the more, the better. And then all types of vegetables. So it's sort of like 
I'd like to say that my fridge looks like the rainbow of colors, but maybe not on every day. So berries and that type of stuff. And then, you know, I keep, um, I like certain cheeses, which I also try to get from, from well-sourced areas. Um, if I have yogurt, it's grass milk-fed yogurt um, or other uh, non-dairy yogurts. And, um, you know, in terms of lean proteins, uh, things like uh, salmon, well-sourced salmon, sockeye salmon, try to get uh, get that on a regular basis, certain types of uh, lean poultry. You know, I, I, what I do is even if it's, if I'm making something for my family, but say lean um, chicken breast or, or lean ground turkey, it's all about using the spices, which I hope comes through in the book that I have a real love for spices. And with the benefit of them, you can actually make something really flavorful. Um, and, you know, I, I like to keep things like healthy nuts on hand and, you know, those macadamia nuts and those Brazil nuts with the selenium, the things that I, I like to keep. And I've also learned during COVID that if I don't get, um, you know, don't buy anything that's kind of not that great for me, then I can't eat it. So if I, if I, if I have the nuts on the table and fresh fruit, then that's what I'm going to eat. Well, you do love spices, and I love that about you in the book. And you, you're a big fan of chili peppers and cayenne, which was like, all right. So talk Thank about why. Let's, let's go to the why, why they're so great. So it turns out that, um, you, know, you know, capsaicin from chili peppers has Capsaicin, multiple, that, that's how you pronounce it, capsaicin. Capsaicin, yeah. So, so it's, it, it hits the high notes on a food. It's an immunity-boosting food, along with uh, turmeric, ginger, garlic, um, uh, and vitamin C rich foods like uh, red bell peppers end up being really and red bell peppers go to make paprika another spice so th I love spices for, for, the, for the simple fact that they can change any meal but they also have these health benefits and they're listed in the different chapters with different effects um, chili peppers help mood, they boost energy they help immunity um, and I think that you know, if you if, if you don't like spicy food, you can use less less of it. But I would also encourage just trying to work your way through the book and just adding in the spices that are used for the different conditions, because I think that will um, it, it will it, it will also open up sort of your palate to different flavors, and you know, uh, hope hopefully have you experience more things. So, what's your most under the radar, underrated uh, fruit or vegetable? Um, hmm. You know, everyone, everyone will talk, yeah. you know, you yeah. know the, the regular suspects, you know, kale, right. dark leafy greens, right. what have you. Well, what's what, what's under the radar? Jicama. 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 Yeah. So jicama is a great prebiotic food. And it's, um, it's so easy to work with when you, when you get used to it. It's, it's super crunchy. You can add it to a salad. You can, you can make, you know, you can use it to dip your hummus. Um, you can grate it and actually make a really, really crunchy addition to your salad. Uh, and it's, it, it's, it's sort of, I like the flavor of it. And I, I feel like it's something that's underappreciated um, and could be added to a person's repertoire with they kind of bored with, you know, the salad that they're eating and that type of stuff. So, in terms of you know, benefits, good for everything? It's, it's uh, specifically a good prebiotic. And prebiotic is one of those pillars that I work with people try to include prebiotic foods in your diet, probiotic foods. So it, it right there starts helping your gut bacteria. Well, I, I'm a huge fan. I love probiotics and prebiotics and postbiotics and feel like that world, you know, I think we know pro, but then pre and post is interesting and developing. You know, talk about like beta glucan and like, it, there's a lot going on there. 
Exactly. Right now. And it's developing and we, you know, as we learn more, we, we tweak what we do. And again, it, for me, it comes back to you're going to eat, you know, you're going to eat every day, several times a day uh, for most of us. So, you know, why not, why not make some, why not pack in the foods that will give you a better um, brain food punch? So my last question, we'll have, we'll have fun with it. So dessert, what's your, what's your, what's a dessert that's, you know, I know you like dark chocolate, but what, is it dark chocolate or do you have a, what's a go-to when you want, you want to indulge and you want to indulge in a way that's good for your brain? Absolutely. So I have, I have a face, so I love chocolate, but, but, um, okay. I'm going to have to give you two, Jason. One is this dark chocolate mousse made with super dark, natural cacao for the antioxidant punch and the fact that it's uh, comes from rich dark chocolate so it's uh, fermented um, so it's super dark uh, plus a little bit of banana that's super ripe, ripe a little piece of avocado um, and maybe you know you may or may not need a little drop of honey to sweeten it may not even need that and when you whip it up it's like a, you wouldn't know that it's a it's not an egg-based chocolate dark chocolate mousse and then i top it with berries and cacao nibs. Cacao nibs for the crunch and benefit are one of my favorite go-tos as well for desserts. The other is just when, when you get those really delicious plump fresh strawberries at the farm stand or the, um, the, at the um, farmer's market, the, I, I like to have coconut for the healthy fat. So the coconut cream um, whipped and added, you know, kind of on a, on a large strawberry. And I, I sprinkle it with, um, cacao nibs for the crunch and sometimes from some unsweetened coconut flakes for the crunch. And it actually is a really, really lovely dessert. Um, because you get that creaminess and you have a fresh fruit, uh, you have your antioxidants. It's, it's, it's good. That's one of my favorites and it's easy to do. You don't have to do too much to put it together. I love it. You're making me hungry. <laughs> well, Uma, thank you so much. We love the book. This is your brain on food. Thank you for all the good work you are doing. Uh, thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.